0: Turn your Bible, if you would, to the uh, book of 1 John. Continue in our series, Knowing the Father's Heart. All of this, all that we're exploring in John's letter is to give us uh, deeper, more vibrant um, understanding of who our Father is, who God is, what his heart is for us. That's why John is writing so emphatically, my little children. John's old. When he's writing this, he's in his mid-80s. He's a man that knows that his time on this side of glory is limited. And so above all, he wants to communicate the most foundational, important, precious truths that he knows as one who walked alongside of Jesus and even laid his head on Jesus' chest. He writes with an urgency because it's incredibly urgent that we hear and apprehend and understand and know and believe and apply what he's saying. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, stand if you would. Hear God as he speaks this morning to us through his word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god and every spirit that does not confess jesus is not from, that does not confess jesus is not from god this is is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given to us this day in love. Let's pray. Grant us wisdom, O Father, we pray, to discern truth from error. You have chosen throughout history to use your creation as a mouthpiece of your cosmic glory. So even now, this day, Speak, for your servants are listening. We want to see Jesus and him only. And so would the one who speaks decrease so that Jesus would increase? We pray in his name. Amen. Be seated. John seems to interrupt his thought, doesn't he? Scholars and commentators, when trying to unpack the essence of this letter, go back and forth with, there's really only three or four main ideas that John has. He just seems to talk about them again and again. Last uh, last week, we talked about love. We talked about what it is to love one another. This is called the love test test. The love test is going to show up again next week, but it's not the same. Because next week, John's not talking about loving one another. John's talking about loving the world. And that's a different kettle of fish altogether. It seems, though, that here John interrupts himself, but he's really not. Right at the end of chapter 3 and verse 24... Whoever keeps his, com- his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, John is presuming that those who have, been, who have been made alive in Jesus have been given the spirit of God. The spirit of God is at work in them. And we should be able to know things. If we should be able to know things, then we ought to be able to test things, right? Right? If there are things that are knowable, that means there are things that are testable. We should be able to know whether or not what we're hearing is true. It's kind of like the wisdom of that great bard and songwriter, Bob Dylan. (laughs) Seriously, get into the theology of some of Dylan's work sometimes. It's fascinating. In that great song, I won't quote it all because there's like five bajillion verses But in that great song, you got to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. You may be somebody's heir. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, maybe the devil or maybe the Lord. But you got to serve somebody. See, John would actually have probably said, that's it. Because for John, there's no gray area. There's no, there's no weird, mushy middle ground. John is saying that there is when you, are, um, when you are teaching, when you are speaking, when you are proclaiming, it is going to fit in one of two categories. Everyone, as Dylan said, is the mouthpiece or the spokesperson of somebody. Everybody's working for somebody. Either the spirit of God or the spirit of falsehood. So as John Stott says, behind every spirit is either God or the devil. So what's the one thing you need to hear this morning? It's this. Before we can trust what anyone is saying, we should test what everyone is saying. Before we can trust what anyone is saying, we should test what everyone is saying. Now, I'm not talking about breeding a, a sense of undue paranoia, right? So let's talk a little bit about this. What are false teachers teaching? That's really, if we want to know what's right, we first have to sort of draw a picture of what is wrong. Um, if you want to set yourself up for failure when it comes to discerning truth from error, um, we live right now in a day and age that is uh, that is ripe for problems. We we live in a time where there is a marketplace that has uh, no shortage of um, opportunity for for failure to find yourself completely confused, completely confused. Um, in days gone by, uh, you could go to your um, if you wanted to set yourself up for confusion, all you had to do was go to your local bookstore, perhaps it was your uh, your mega bookstore like your Barnes and Noble, and then turn down that that trap of an aisle that says Christian or religious. And there on the bookcase is, is all sorts of authors that was able to get their book into mass market press. And so among the Bibles and the The resources that may be helpful, you find a whole bath of trash from hucksters and opportunists and people that don't care at all about your soul. They just want to write stuff that sells books. The the confusion can still come now because now you can go into your local Christian bookstore. Same problem, more square footage but perhaps even the the most confusing one of them all. Listen, for every uh, person in the medical industry that has heard someone say to them, well, Google says, Google says you're dying. That's what Google says. For everyone in the medical industry that has heard the expression, Google says, and then they shudder. Those of us that trade in things of eternal weight have the same feeling. Google is not your friend when it comes to discerning truth from error. So it leads us to lots of questions. All right, then how do I discern? How do I, how do I make sense of all of it? Well, the first way that we make sense of truth and error is recognizing that true, that the, proj- the project of discernment is not an independent study. You are not designed to be the sole arbiter of whether what you are hearing is true or false. That is a lie of American religion that would say that it's an individual project between you and God. The Bible would have no such recognition of anything like that. It is a community project. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The second thing that we have to watch out for is we have a deep distrust of institutions. And let's be fair, institutions have not done a great job of cultivating trust. The Reformation was a thing. Every scandal we see breaking every day can further erode trust in institutions. And yet God believed so much in institutions that he said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And that's not just church in the ideal sense. That's church in the day in, day out, messed up, messy sense. Institutions matter. The church matters. So we have to, we have to look... Um, We have to look to our own distrust of institutions as to why we want to make discernment an individual project. John is saying that for us, there needs to be a spiritual discernment in our lives. We need to have a measure of how we can test what's being taught so that we know whether or not we can trust it. So verse 1, John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. The command in this text, test is written in the imperative, right? It's a command. He is not saying this is this is not an optional thing that the super Christians do on blogs and chat rooms. This is a project for every believer. Every believer should be so thoroughly grounded in the scriptures, so firmly rooted in the gospel that every believer every believer is able to discern and test what's being said. It's not an option, it's a command. But the command to test doesn't mean that we're so suspicious that we believe nothing that anyone says. Nor are we so relaxed that we just take in everything and say it's all good. False teachers, the way that false teachers and false teaching works is it sounds believable enough, it sounds plausible enough that it might be true. No one one is going to fall for outright lies. That's not the problem. The problem is, is it sounds plausible enough. But if you get down deep enough into what's being said, it's bankrupt. If Jesus is just a good example, but not our substitute, it's bankrupt. Do You see what I'm saying? So John says in verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets have gone out. We, John talked about this a little bit earlier in the letter. And he goes on in verse 2 and 3 to say, this is how you know. This is how you know what false teachers are teaching. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So John is saying that... Um, False teachers deny the core tenets of the gospel. They deny either that Jesus came in the flesh as the incarnate Lord, or they deny the implications of what that means because he is now both Lord and Savior. You see, there are some that would have taught that Jesus, um, the docetists would have taught that, the, uh, that Jesus, um, his, uh, his divinity kind of came upon His humanity there for a season at his baptism and that his divinity left him at the cross. That's a problem. That's not what the Bible teaches. There are still others that that were the Gnostics that would have said that no, um, matter, flesh is bad, so Jesus couldn't possibly have come in the flesh. And John's saying, nope, that's not it either. Because unless God assumed flesh, unless God took on these bodies that we have, to be our substitute, to be our sacrifice, if there's no bodily resurrection of a body that is beside God right now in heaven, then we have no hope. So for for those that would deny and say that Jesus was just a really solid teacher, but not God, you've missed the foundation of the gospel. And for those that would just say, well, Jesus just... There's just kind of the spirit of Jesus. No, a guy lived with flesh and blood. And in so living, he bled and died. You see, that's, the, that's what we believe. We believe that, that, that God came in the flesh. And John's saying if they're missing that, they're missing the gospel, you need to watch out for what they're saying. Jesus was the divine God-man who, um, from his incarnation... Through his ascension, he never stopped being God in the flesh. Because flesh has risen, so will we. Verse 3, um, he says, uh, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit, this idea, this, 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 um, this one that would malign and misdirect from the gospel of Jesus Christ is at work right now in the world, still at work in the world. You don't have to look for it in a single person. He said the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. Everywhere you see people distracting or, or, or uh, deceiving and moving people away from the gospel, you have the, the spirit of Antichrist is going on there. But the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh, that he became one of us so that we might be one with him is central to the, to the message of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to lead by example or be a great teacher, though he was all those things. He wasn't simply a nobleman or a champion of the weak, though he was those things. He, He didn't simply do a brave thing or a kind thing, though those were part of what he did on the cross. Jesus didn't come to be your example. He came to be your Savior. So John says, that we are to recognize, repudiate, and remove from our midst anyone who would bring a Jesus in their own making. If it's the Jesus that just shows up in thank you speeches, whether at a Grammy ceremony or at a sporting event, watch out. If it's the Jesus, by the way, if it's the Jesus that never confronts you, but only speaks words of comfort to you, watch out. If you think Jesus, the definition of Jesus loving you is that he just wants to leave you alone and pat you on the back and make sure you're having a good day, watch out. I read read a quote this week. Um, Those of us that struggle with righteous indignation and righteous anger, talking about turning tables over in the temple. Well, Jesus got angry. Well, what makes you think that you're the one turning tables over? What if you're the money changer? If you're not in a place where, you, where Jesus isn't speaking into your life, where you can come over and turn the tables over and say, what's going on? Watch out. You may not be hearing the God of the Bible. You may be hearing a God of your own invention. whether it's the Jesus that fits on bumper stickers or internet memes or the Jesus that just wants to make sure you don't go to hell but wants to leave the rest of your life alone or the Jesus that's the role model or the Jesus that's been conscripted by cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. No, 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 none of this. If it's the Jesus of your identity politics that, where, where Jesus only fits on your side of the, of the voting ticket, watch out. Jesus isn't a commodity in a marketplace of ideas to advance an idea fashioned out of our own imaginations, but rather he is the incarnate Christ who is remaking and restoring all things out of the overflow of his grace and love to the praise of his wondrous grace. That's the Jesus that's in the Bible, and that's the Jesus that we worship. If there's any other Jesus in your life, you've got the wrong guy. The New Testament is the only authorized narrative to tell us about his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming. It is the only eyewitness account that can tell us what Jesus continues to say to the church. And so when it comes to testing the spirits, when it comes to being grounded in and knowing and believing and comprehending and applying the gospel to our lives, it's so that we would know If things are getting too comfortable in my life, why? What am I listening to? Who am I listening to? Beloved, we must cling to the Christ whom Peter said at Pentecost, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And later who says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. False teachers, um, it's, the, it's the greatest, it, it, it's the single greatest, uh, to our shame, single greatest export of American religion. A health, wealth, and prosperity gospel rampant all over the globe. Smiling preachers on the television wanting to give you lots of blessings in exchange for lots of money. People that stand up in the pulpit and want to be relatable. I'm not cool enough to be relatable. Frankly, I don't have the time. I'd much rather serve a church and declare the Jesus of the Bible than stand up and tell a bunch of lovely stories and crack a few jokes just to get people to like me. But you should hold me to the same standard that I'm talking about. But Paul said in Galatians, if I or anyone else comes and brings a gospel different than the gospel that you have heard us preach, let that man be accursed. This is not my pulpit. This is God's pulpit. We have to know together. We have to discern together. We have to apply together. We have to be able to talk together about what we're hearing, what we're believing, and what we're turning around and putting into practice in our lives. John says that true believers, those who, those who have been brought from death to life in Jesus Christ have been given ears to ear and eyes to see. It's what Jesus would say at the end of parables that he would say. He would say what? Let the, he who has ears to hear let him hear. This isn't because this is some secret society where there's a secret knock and a handshake and everything else. It's that you and I don't actually possess internally the ability to be able to make sense of this, right or wrong, up and down, left and right. We don't have that. We're reliant on the Spirit of God to be at work in us, the Word of God to illumine us, and the community of faith to come around and alongside of us in order to make sense of what we're hearing and seeing and believing. It's not an individual project. When he says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He is not saying um, overcome in a moral sense. He's saying overcome in an intellectual sense. The false teachers, he says, has, have not succeeded in deceiving you. It isn't just that we have simply heard bad teaching or off teaching and thought that something just didn't sound right. It's that we have heard bad teaching and, so, and are so thoroughly grounded in the gospel that we can repudiate it by pointing out its falsehood. Now, you don't, have to be a, you don't have to be a mean person when you point out falsehood, by the way. Don't do that. It's by grace that you understand what this being said to begin with. Don't all of a sudden get high and mighty and think, well, I got it. Why can't you get it? Brother and sister, you didn't get anything. God did it. Don't be that internet commenter. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we have exceptional memories. It's not because we took the right classes. It's not because we went to the right schools. Look at what John said. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John will say later in verse 6 that this is the spirit of truth. This is how we're able to make sense of up and down, left and right, right and wrong. It's not because you got a great education. It's not because you went to the right church. It's not because you, no, it's because God was gracious to you. the spirit of antichrist is very strong. It's pervasive, but it's the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the Christ who is risen and reigning and will come again, but is greater still. He will overcome every false teaching, every heresy, every distortion of his glorious self-revelation that culminates in in Jesus, the enfleshed God. Do you know why the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Because God won't let it. (laughs) He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The spirit that is in us, wooing and working to apply the word, declared to our hearts and our minds, is active in protecting us From being swayed by falsehood. A few weeks ago in the adult Bible class, we were talking about sola scriptura, and we and uh, heard a quote by Martin Luther, where he basically, in essence, said that I can only get the word of God from my mouth to people's ears. It's the Spirit that drives it from their ears to their hearts. So when you hear this idea of discerning truth and falsehood, of being a discerning people, don't, uh, don't step into that gear of, oh, got to go take the apologetics classes now. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. You can do that. Good. Apologetics are great. The problem for me was that I didn't use apologetics to drive me deeper to love God. I used apologetics to be able to have power over people that were mean to me. So if I could win an intellectual argument, I felt better about myself. That made me unpopular at parties. (laughs) The word of God We're going to talk about more of this in just a minute. But the Word of God must be accompanied by the working of the Spirit of God. John Calvin says this. He says, unless the Spirit of wisdom is present, there is little or no profit in having God's Word in our hands. Unless the Spirit is working and present, there's little to no profit to having the Word in your hands. The one who listens in verses 5 and 6, the one who listens um, to the world is, the one, who is listen, the one who listens to falsehood is of the world. The one who is listening to truth is whoever knows God. Um, Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, this is what Paul says. He says, Christians um, receive truth, non-Christians reject it. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. John says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Do you ever wonder, by the way, I mean, yeah. Okay. The church has become more and more and more marginalized in our society. Have you ever traveled? Um, have you ever traveled overseas and tried to speak a language that's not your native tongue? Several things go wrong with this. Um, we think that if we speak English slower and louder. They will tell us where the bathroom is. They will not. They don't speak the language. So, church, help me out here. If the Spirit of God's not at work at people, does it help us at all to speak louder? No. In fact, you might not get invited back to those parties. That doesn't mean don't speak prophetically, by the way. But it does mean the way that Jesus spoke incredibly profound, hard, and difficult things to people was in the context of his self-giving love to them. And that's the corner that we're going to turn into next week when it comes to thinking about how to love those around us. In John 10, Jesus said that um, when he had brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow for they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Um, Later in John 18 Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Whoever is of the truth listens to my voice. There's a corresponding truth that God's people listen to God's truth through God's messengers. So let's talk about, for a few minutes that we have before we close, what some of this means. What does it mean for God's people to listen to God's truth through God's messengers? Um, Again, I've said it several times. Discernment is a community project. Discernment is a community project. Uh, In the Bible, you would always uh, uh, understand it to talk about the body first, the individual second. So when it says little children, John is not saying, Oh, he called me a little kid. He's talking to the church. Everyone, all of you, little children, it's corporate first, individual second. But we read it as individual first, who happens to be sitting in a body of other people who are also hearing it as a bunch of individuals. That's not what John's saying. In this text, all the pronouns and all the imperatives, all the commands are plural. So when he said in verse 1, beloved, all of you, do not believe every spirit, but test. That word, that, that command, test, also plural. All of you, test. So discernment is done together as a community project. That means we have to spend time around one another. Secondly, together we must know truth and take care against error. Um, error comes up in a couple ways. Error is either wrong belief not understanding what the Bible teaches, or wrong practice, not correctly applying what the Bible teaches. So a Christianity that lives and breathes and moves and and has vibrancy and life is not just a scholastic exercise, but it is also worked out in practice. Neither is a Christianity that lives and moves and has vitality and life simply about doing kind things to other people, but it is grounded in truth. It is orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxis, right action. You must have both of those things together. This is how we take care against error. We watch what we believe and we watch what we do. Third thing. This triad of word and spirit and community are all working together. One commentator said this. He said, John has portrayed the role of the spirit primarily as testimony to the tradition, not as a source of new revelation. He felt that it was necessary to stress the spirit's role as witness to the truth of the gospel concerning Jesus as it was proclaimed from the beginning. So we need the Word of God, we need the Spirit of God, we need the community of God. The community of God is how we test the spirits, not in isolation of our own minds, but in the context of God's people, under the care of God's under-shepherds. It's not a free-for-all. There's a reason why some of us have spent a lot of time studying this stuff, to make sense of it. One of the most dangerous things that we're hearing right now in contemporary Christianity is, well, that's your interpretation of that. Yes, it's my interpretation. It's also the interpretation of the church for the last 2,000 years. When a lot of people start saying the same thing over and over and over again, if you start varying from that, maybe you're the one that's not right. Still not invited to parties. Um, We need the Word of God. We need to know the Word, be saturated in the Scriptures, in the essentials of the faith, to guard ourselves against being swayed by another gospel or a false gospel or a flawed gospel. We're to translate right belief into right practice. Beloved, here's the thing. Be in the Word every day. Don't be in your favorite psalm, although I love your favorite psalm. It's probably mine too. But be in the Gospels. Pick one. They're all great. Be in the words of Jesus. Be in the words of those who have walked alongside of Jesus. Saturate yourself in that. Be confronted by it. Be disrupted by it. Find things that make you go, Yeah. Lastly, we need the Spirit. We need, uh, we need the Spirit to be at work in us, to, to bear witness to what the declared Word and demonstrated Word in Jesus means and implies for our lives. To read the Bible, to teach the Bible, is not to somehow miss the work of the Spirit, but to participate in what the Spirit is doing. To be led by the Spirit, whether as a body or as individuals, is not to wait for God to speak, but to be led back to where God has already divinely spoken. We're not trying to come up with new ways to be God's people, we're trying to go back and rediscover the old way of being God's people and do it in new contexts. In Jude, Jude 3, in the third verse of Jude, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. If people look at us today, do they see Did they hear a picture of Jesus that we see in the Bible? See, you know what I said about the money changers earlier? We've all been listening to this sermon this whole time, assuming that we are just the recipients of teaching rather than the ones doing the teaching. Perhaps that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But beloved, beloved, Watch your faith and doctrine closely. Watch what you say and watch what you do to make sure that it is thoroughly grounded in the Scriptures to make sure that you are walking as a humble, imperfect, living by grace, daily repenting believer and follower of Jesus, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of your spouse, for the sake of your coworkers, for the sake of the church and for the sake of the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are the ones that are the mouthpiece of God. You may be the first and the last encounter with one of God's people that someone would ever have. I'm not saying that to be cliched. I'm saying that because it's true. How we live and how we speak and how we walk and how we interact is so vitally important. And beloved, we can't do it on a whim. We do it through God's help. We do it by his grace. We do it saturated in his word. We do it among and with his people. We do it for his glory. We do it because we have confidence that we don't worship a Jesus of our imagination of our, or of our making, but a Jesus who was incarnate, who took on flesh, who bore our sins and took our place to be our substitute and to be our sacrifice, not to live as, in our, as our example, but to rule us as, his, as, as, as our king. This is the Jesus that we proclaim. This is the Jesus we have confidence in. You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. Everybody's going to serve somebody.